Welcome to the Embodied Mystic Podcast, where we explore the path of feminine awakening and luscious womanhood. Together we'll be diving into topics like sacred sexuality, feminine embodiment, spiritual healing, and soulful relationships. I'm your host, Tamara Fayel, tantric mentor and Aries hype girl, here to guide you back to the temple of your body and fall in love with being a woman. I look forward to journeying together. Hello and welcome to the Embodied Mystic podcast. I've got on a very special guest today, Sardar Hararovic. So I've been Facebook friends with Sardar for a little while and I have received so much um, valuable information just from following him on Facebook, from being connected. So Sardar is a practitioner who supports people in experiencing more fulfilling and soulful intimacy, yes, through effective communication skills and grounded approaches to healthy relating. So welcome on the podcast, Sardar. So wonderful to have you. Thank you, Tamar. It's really nice to be here and I'm excited to um, get into some of the things that we've spoken about. And it's really nice to hear as well that you've received a lot of valuable information from what I've been sharing. That's that's the uh, intention. So it's always nice to hear those positive, uh, you know, reflections of what I'm sharing. Yeah, thank you so much for everything you share. I mean, it's such such a valuable service to the world. And um, yeah, I just love the really frank and straightforward approach that you take and all um, the advice you give to those of us who are navigating how to have healthier relationships and really wanting to be conscious about the choices that we make and be in our power. I think it's such a wild journey. It is, it is. And I, uh, I'm on that journey myself and that's why I'm so passionate about bringing what I feel is some clarity into the space, part of why I do what I do because I've been misguided by lots of different uh, viewpoints and ideas and it can get confusing uh, I know that I experienced that myself and a lot of the clients I work with can feel confused by all the different messages that they receive. And so um, that's why I like to, you know, to try and cut through that as best as I can to bring something to help with that process. And um, yeah, I, I do my best with that. And it's always nice to hear that it is helpful for some people out there. Yes, it is. And I, this is what I really love about um, what you share. Like you call out certain things, you call out certain 
dating strategies and stories and myths that are like everywhere and um yeah I'm just I'm really excited to unpack some of that as we've been doing in our conversations um so why don't we start with what we were talking about over the weekend which was unpacking this whole myth around the fuck yes so I'll just explain that a little bit for anyone listening who um who's like what do you mean the fuck yes myth so this is the thing where it's like if it's not a fuck yes to actually to anything but specifically in dating it's like if it's not a fuck yes then it's a fuck no and then Sadar what you were sharing which i found really fascinating is that that just doesn't really work in healthy intimacy mm. Mm. right and uh so this is one of the many different clichés beliefs catchphrases that are out there and um yeah with this particular one the idea that if it's not a fuck yes it's a fuck no something that i like to bring in is seeing the grain of truth in all these different ideas that are out there and i think there's a grain of truth in this in one sense which is that in some contexts it is helpful for example for someone who has had really um you know has really struggled with their boundaries it can be helpful to have this really clear rule of saying unless it's a fuck yes to continue uh you know becoming sexually involved with someone moving further sexually it's helpful for them to have this rule um, it's going to be a no and just kind of pausing and stopping and checking in right yeah. so i think it's helpful in those kinds of contexts uh because yeah some people need to have that kind of extreme of saying well unless it's a very clear yes it's a very clear no until such a time that it feels like it feels safe um and then from when people feel safe enough to do that then they can kind of start to explore the middle ground of okay it's mm. not a total yes but you know maybe if we talked about boundaries maybe it would feel okay then or maybe um maybe if we spoke about what this means it could be a yes so we can start to play in that middle ground when we you know we create the safety to say it's going to be a no first i'm going to stop and pause yeah so that's a context in which it, this kind of uh, idea is can be helpful for some people now where i see it being uh misguiding for people is where we're applying it to getting to know someone and connecting mm. with new people and dating and relationships more generally speaking mm. because that's where uh that's where this rule really gets in the way of allowing something that could grow into a bigger yes from ever doing so because a lot of people have the experience of you know they're getting they're starting to get to know someone and there are vulnerabilities that come up or insecurities and it's not a fuck yes it's a you know i feel scared i feel afraid i have past trauma from past experiences and i'm feeling mistrustful well do we interpret that as being a fuck no 
because those things are coming up. If that does happen, I see that as uh, you know that that's possibly blocking something that could be a, a promising and beautiful connection. Because those are things that come up in lots of relationships, and uh, it's for me, it's about how do we work with those things that come up, you know, with the mistrust that can come up, or sometimes the sense of well, this person isn't exciting me in the way that I'd like to be excited, whether that's sexually or romantically. And because that's not happening, well, it must not be the person for me. So I'll go, I'll either have one foot out the door or, you know, I'll actively be searching out or seeking out other partners. That's going to get in the way of of healthy intimacy because sometimes the person that is, you know, most suited to us isn't necessarily the person that is most immediately uh, exciting yeah. and, you know, yeah. all the sparks are coming through and all that. Sometimes that's not how it is. And sometimes that's actually the indication that maybe it's not quite what is right for us. Depending on what our blueprint for love is, you know, that's not a rule that I'm saying that's always the case. But sometimes if we have a tendency to associate anxiety and uh, and excitement and all of that is kind of mixed in with attraction and uh, lust. Sometimes our blueprint is a little bit distorted and it can be worthwhile to kind of explore where that is coming from and whether that's serving us to just kind of go with what is just has always come naturally to us. For example, if we have a type so that's where it's, it, I feel like there's a lot more to it than this, you know, very uh, rigid catchphrase of how uh, to interpret uh, what feels right for us and mm. what our compass is in dating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel it, it can, it can feel like, cause I'm someone who's kind of like, I would say recovering. <laughs> recovering from or healing from um having very intense and exciting passionate connections from the start that actually have been like highly distressing and dysregulating so as someone who's trying to heal from that it's like meeting new kinds of people being in different kinds of situations where there isn't that like spark, quote unquote, it can feel almost like unfair. <laughs> it can feel almost like I've sacrificed something very um, beautiful and exciting. Like it is about excitement and, you know, you sharing about it from that perspective, it kind of brings me in touch with the fact that like oh yeah maybe that's a little bit childish of me you know in some way it's like this child part that like wants that excitement and and wants the the fairy tale you know and like I just want all the things but actually wanting all of that and choosing all of that from the start has not been healthy for me Yeah, and so I think it's about bringing in those child 
parts, the childlike parts in us as well, and the parts of us that, you know, for people, for example, who have uh, attachment trauma or wounding, as in they didn't experience secure attachment as children, Mm -hmm. uh, we can have parts of us that are longing very deeply to have this connection, right? And to tell that part of us, you know, it's going to, maybe take a little while and it maybe uh, you it might be best to go with the person who doesn't feel as immediately exciting it can feel like you're taking away something because if it's right there if we can just experience that right now we will be more likely to take that if there has been any kind of um, attachment wounding in our past mm. uh, because it can feel like it's something that is easy to slip away from us there can be abandonment trauma there uh there can be a a a distorted blueprint of what love is that associates anxiety with um, love and Mm. and connection and therefore we might uh have a very such a strong desire for it that we kind of project these feelings onto all these different people who come into our lives and we'll meet someone and we'll project these feelings of this is the person and now I'm really excited. I don't even know who the person, who they really are, mm. but I feel the spark, all those feelings are there and it's exciting, right? And that's the part of us that, you know, missed out on this experience of mm. feeling that secure connection and now it's really excited for the possibility of it being this person. And so we can bring compassion to that and say that's a, beautiful part of us and we can also compassionately guide it uh, into something that's going to be more fulfilling and one of those ways is you know doing work around becoming more securely attached and it can also just be about kind of looking and reflecting on our type you know you've Mm. mentioned there your experiences in the past where you might have had a type where or a type of connection or type of person that you may have attract, been attracted to. This is quite common. This is, I also had that. Um, and what I found really helpful was starting to, you know, look at that type and considering the possibility that love and happiness and positive experiences could also come in the form of other people, other types of people. Oh, you know, yeah. Didn't necessarily look like the type that I used to associate with all these things because this is what happens sometimes our brain kind of associates a type with that's where all the good things in the universe are it's like that type of person um, and they look like this or they have this kind of energy and if we have you know for example insecure um, anxious attached attachment that type might be someone who kind of embodies or represents an avoidantly attached person who we can kind of tell just by looking at them or kind of sensing the way that they are in the world that they might actually be avoidantly attached and instantly that triggers uh, what we feel is attraction or love but is actually um, attachment wounding, anxiety, insecurity that's coming up that we have associated with love and attraction and so because it's familiar to us, right? So that's where it's kind of like, you know, gently asking ourselves about our type how that's worked for us and what else is possible could it be that someone or someone who yeah looks different or shows up differently than our usual type 
could actually be more fulfilling in the long run. And that's a kind of a gentle, compassionate process of guiding ourselves in this direction. Mm-mm. Yeah, compassionate, gentle and compassionate. It, I mean, it's such a deep journey. I remember when I first learned about attachment styles, I was just like, mind blown. Like, yeah, I wonder like how how much of the population do you think is like dealing with like the anxious avoidant whole dance? I mean, it's almost everyone I speak to who hasn't yet, who hasn't already worked on this stuff. It seems like everyone is dealing with this. Mm-hmm. It is quite common. Um, it's hard to, uh, you know, th- there are statistics on how many people have uh, anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. However, uh, attachment is a spectrum. And so someone can be securely attached, for example, and lean anxious, for example. Mm-hmm. And if they could be connected with someone who's also securely attached, who leans avoidant. Um, and so that wouldn't show up on the statistics of, you know, how many uh, anxious mm. people there are and how many avoidance there are, but they might still play out a less uh, intense version of this dynamic of the push and pull, anxious avoidant dance that is very common. So, yeah, I, I do think it is uh, a very common thing and I see it a lot. Mm. Yeah, I love that you've brought in this point about nuance because yeah these these attachment styles they are our history in a way it's like our history playing itself out in our present day relating and it really is so nuanced and it's not even as if i'm just like anxiously attached across the board it like totally depends also on who i'm with and i'm more avoidant with with certain people and that's also fascinating to (laughs) notice myself bouncing about so yeah I'm for someone who isn't so familiar with attachment styles and doesn't know like what is avoidant what is anxious um could you like summarize it in in a the most succinct way you could sure yeah, it's, it's, it's my passion, so I'll do my best to uh, keep it short. But basically, attachment styles describe the way that we learn to bond with people when we were children. Mm-hmm. And this is something that stays with us. We, we find a particular um, way in which we connect with other people or attach or bond with our caregivers to begin with. And that creates a blueprint in us. And it uh, shows up in how we also connect with or attach to and bond with our romantic partners as adults. And so uh, uh, someone who is anxiously attached has learned a coping mechanism where they hyperactivate the attachment system because of a lack of consistency when they were a child with their caregivers. So they learn to, their emotions are louder um, or heightened. Uh, They can experience more preoccupation with attachment because if I feel like you know the connection was there sometimes but other times it was not there now I'm worrying a lot this is my coping mechanism maybe if I worry a lot 
I'll be able to get the sustenance, the shelter, the love that I need. Mm. Right? So it's this hypervigilance that we learn as children and we bring that into our adult relationships. Uh, so, And it is a spectrum, just like all the attachment styles. Uh, and then you've got avoidant attachment, which is you know, uh, considered the complete opposite side of the um, spectrum of attachment, where someone's actually deactivated their attachment style. That's their coping mechanism. And that can happen because they had repeated experiences of rejection when they were a child or being ignored. Their needs were not consistently attuned to and met. And they learned that the best thing to do is to switch off the attachment system um, in order to cope with those very painful feelings of helplessness and um, you know rejection, uh, the fear of abandonment, all of those things. So they, they switch it off. And um, so those are, those are the two uh, you know, main insecure attachment styles. And you've got disorganized attachment, which is uh, more associated with uh, trauma. And uh, it's, it can kind of uh, be a more intensified version uh, of uh, either of those styles. Uh, but it's its own distinct style. And then you've got secure attachment. right? So this is where we had good enough parenting, we were attuned to, we re received enough validation and consistency that we now come to expect that with our romantic partners, meaning uh, when someone doesn't respond for a day or two, we don't think that we're being rejected. We don't worry that we're going to be abandoned. We, we just feel, we, because we had the blueprint that even when there's distance or separation, we still have the attachment and the connection is still there, mm -hmm. we feel okay. So there's a sense of security in that. Mm -hmm. We can also feel secure that we can be vulnerable with people and other people respond to us in a compassionate and understanding way because that's what we experience as children. So that's secure attachment. And that's something that some people grow up with and other people, um, you know, the kinds of people who are doing the work, usually they're working towards secure attachment. Mm -hmm. They didn't have it when they were children. So they're doing work that is allowing them to move towards it. And it does take time. Um, but yeah, that's a, a little overview of, of attachment styles. Thank you. That was great. And yeah, in your work, Sardar, you're helping people to move towards secure attachment. That's right. Yeah. This is what I have found in terms of, uh, you know, healthy relating. It's the model that I have found to be the most effective and grounded mm. um, in looking at the issues that we may have from this framework. Mm. And it's not about, you know, labeling or categorize, categorizing ourselves or others. It's just about kind of acknowledging that we can, there's these categories that kind of represent a general way that people learn to cope with things. Mm. And sometimes when people are like, oh, wow, I've, now I know I'm not crazy. It's my brain is doing this because it's a coping mechanism that I have from childhood that can feel a sense of validation and mm. feeling seen and kind of uh, separating them from the thoughts that often can feel so, uh, you know, anxiety-producing. So 
that's kind of a helpful process sometimes for people mm. to have the awareness of these things and identify with some of the coping mechanisms that are part of that attachment mm. style and knowing what it can look like and how it shows up and the different symptoms or experiences someone can have, it makes it much more effective uh, to be able to deal with it. You know, if we know exactly why it's happening uh, and we have this framework, then we can be like, you know, this is something that helps with that. Mm. And this is something that helps with that. So slowly becoming secure over time. Um, yeah, I, I have found it to be the most effective way to help people have healthier intimacy in their lives. Mm. So powerful. And I feel like just learning about attachment styles and like getting in deeper with this topic, it can really give us as give us an opportunity to like just tap into more compassion for others as well, especially others who are different from us. Because often, you know, I think it's quite common that avoidance or people with avoidant attachment can be vil like villainized by people who have more of an anxious attachment because, you know, for, from the perspective of the person with the anxious attachment, they're the ones who aren't there and, you know, that the anxious attached ones are the ones who are more often feeling abandoned or hurt or wanting more. And I do see a lot of that actually online. I see a lot of, um, yeah, just like trashing people with avoidant attachment style. And I can understand from an emotional perspective where it comes from. But actually, like, we're just talking about patterns that come from childhood. And that's how, like, that's how they learned to keep themselves emotionally safe was by detaching. So the patterns, you know, the experiences of detachment that we are, you know, having with these people, like, got to understand that that's their protective mechanism. Yes. Yeah. And that can be a really helpful uh, process for someone to regain their power that they may have given away through blame. Right. Sometimes blame is appropriate and putting responsibility where it's uh, where it lays. But sometimes we can also be blaming other people for things that we have power over. And that includes the power to be able to move towards secure attachment and not continually choose people who are avoidantly attached and don't have any awareness of it or aren't able yeah. to manage it in a healthy way, right? So that's mm. where having that understanding can be so empowering for people on so many levels. Mm. And sometimes what that can mean is uh, as someone increases their understanding both of themselves and of others, there's a, a new kind of uh, capacity that uh, someone develops, which is the capacity for collaboration. So, you know, we're talking about spectrums here. Some, someone could be securely attached and have some anxiety, um, and they might meet someone who's securely attached who has some avoidance. Mm -hmm. What's going to really help them to be able to avoid the anxious avoidant dance is if they are able to collaborate together on the things that could arise in their relationship mm -hmm. and the challenges that come up because of their old coping mechanisms so the difference that it makes 
to have that compassionate understanding can be huge. It, it can sometimes mean to people who have you know so much love for each other can actually instead of kind of battling each other to get their needs met and to feel safe, which is ultimately what we're trying to do is to feel safe in the connection. Mm. Um, we just have different ways of doing it. We can collaborate together and be like, okay, this is what you need to feel safe. Mm. I, I want to hear that and I want to know more about that. And this is what I need. How do you think we could work together so that we could meet you know, each other's needs mm. in a way that feels good for both of us? So that's the space of collaboration. And that's a, such a beautiful space to come to, regardless of whether it's, you know, the dance is an anxious avoidant dance or it's just, mm. um, you know, the issues that come up in any relationship anyway. Mm. And that's that's that space of being able to collaborate. It's, it's when we move past the blame, that's where we can get to. We can get to this space of being able to collaborate um, and feel empowered. Uh, you know, sometimes we're not going to be able to collaborate with someone. They might not have that skill. And we can have the power to say, okay, that's not someone I want to connect with. I don't need to blame them for it. For it. Mm. I you know, have the power to say, that's not going to work for me. I have a standard that says someone who's able to collaborate and talk about these things is a standard that I have. So I'm going to choose to go in a different direction. And so this is how, you know, one of the ways we can just uh, reconnect with our power in relationships and uh, reconnect with our power to have healthy relationships. Mm. Wow, it's it's like so beautiful to just imagine, you know, to imagine two people who can have like such a mature, beautiful, respectful conversation about needs and like ha like I feel like that's what true mm. partnership is. It's like collaboration. It's like how can we meet instead of trying to like pull someone towards us or, or like push someone in the direction that we want it's like where's the meeting point between both of us and it's such a rare thing but it, it definitely starts with us all as individuals working on ourselves. yeah yeah and it's, it is I'm getting goosebumps you know just you know feeling into the power of that kind of connection where that collaborative energy has been established and because anything's possible in that kind of relationship, you know, mm. um, any kind of issue that comes up, we can talk about it and work yeah. through it because we have this collaborative attitude instead of an adversarial attitude that is quite common where, you know, we're kind of battling to get our needs met with someone who feels like, you know, they're the one that's a, making it impossible for us to get our needs met. Um, so when we can kind of approach it in this different way, this with this new energy, um, which often comes as we become more securely attached, it's a very beautiful and powerful thing. Mm. And um, so, yeah, that meeting point. Um, and that's, that's to me, um, those healthy communication skills are such a, uh, important part of that mm. as we yeah. you know become more securely attached mm. it can be about how do we express a need that doesn't feel like an ultimatum to the other person yeah right that's just one example uh how do we express a boundary in a way that feels like the you know the person has uh some kind of uh, you know we value the other person's input in what what we're sharing as a need 
right? Instead of feeling like they have no choice or, you know, there's a disconnect here, we can kind of bring them into our experience by letting them know why this thing is important to us. Mm. So these kinds of different kind of practical communication skills can really help to create this collaborative energy of mm. bringing the other person into our experience, expressing things in a way that the other person feels like, oh, I feel taken into consideration here. Mm. I don't feel like I'm the enemy or the one that's wrong or um, I feel like you care about me and you're setting a standard here and it makes sense and you're willing to, you know, if it's a need that you're expressing, you're willing to collaborate with me on that. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful feeling for the person on the other end. And yeah. so, and if they have that, those kinds of skills, or even sometimes they're just experiencing it from us, sometimes they're like, wow, this is different. This is not mm -hmm. like anything else I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. it's maybe I, it's safe for me to actually show up differently mm -hmm. in this connection, to show up a little bit more collaboratively and um, to, you know, for someone who might be avoidant, for example, instead of having to distance myself or create space uh, to, to feel safe, maybe to, maybe I can lean into the fact it's actually, this is safe in a way that nothing before has been safe, right? So mm. that's what it can look like. Mm. Yeah, I'm just feeling really touched by this conversation and reflecting on how incredibly powerful conscious communication is. I think there's such power in learning these tools and I feel like meditation is something so important, like as a um, best friend. <laughs> of conscious communication you know it's like learning how to just be still and just really reflect on what's happening in the moment and um develop that witness perspective and having a little bit of distance from our own internal process so that we can actually make a choice about how we want to continue and I can really attest to how powerful these tools have been in my own life. I mean, I'm very fiery and very emotional. And it's been such a powerful and touching experience for me to learn how to actually like lean back and give the other person space, even when I'm feeling very emotionally activated and just experiencing the level and like the depth of intimacy that you can experience with someone when they feel safe to really share what's going on because they know you're not going to attack them even if you're really angry. Yes, that's a very powerful uh, space of safety, of emotional safety. And um, yeah, that can unlock so many possibilities for uh, someone and for a relationship to blossom into something very beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's something that I really like to focus on, which is that emotional safety. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about polarity uh, mm -hmm. you know, earlier, and this is where you know, I diverge from that world, although there, I think there's lots of benefits and pros to the polarity framework. I think this area of understanding uh, 
a man's need for emotional safety as much as a woman's need for emotional safety is where uh, the polarity world and I diverge. Yes. And where I am, some of the most powerful uh, transformations in some of the some of the clients that I work with in their relationships with men has been around understanding what emotional safety looks like, how to co-create that, even mm-hmm. though you're relating with a man who, you know, some people out there are teaching that, you know, a vulnerability for a man is a, it's a feminine thing and something he shouldn't ever show mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. these things. And it gets in the way of this fundamental thing, which is emotional safety that we all need. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. And I mean, learning how to be vulnerable is like specifically important for men. And us as women, and I I say this from someone who loves polarity, (laughs) very into it, big fan. (laughs) And at the same time, it's like if we as women want to be held in our emotions, if we want to be able to be emotional and be with a man who can actually hold that and be with that and not try to shut us down, not walk away from us when we're upset. Um, and I'm not talking about like projecting on someone, but just the, just the pure emotion of, of being in grief or being in rage if we want a man who can be with that, he's got to be someone who can hold that in himself. He's got to be a man who's in touch with his own feminine energy and his emotions. And we just, we can't expect to be held by a man who, you know, isn't comfortable with his own emotions and whose emotions we can't hold as well. It's, It's a partnership. And I think this is so, so important. And I'm really glad that you brought this up because I absolutely agree with you. It's like, we've got to hold each other. That's what relationship is. Absolutely. And especially if you want to experience the real soulful depths of authentic intimacy, which, you know, um, this is what it's all about for me because anyone can have a relationship, but to experience the depths of really feeling seen and known and loved in your wholeness and Mm. to see and know and love someone else in their wholeness. That's what it's all about for me because it's such a beautiful feeling that I, you know, a lot of people have never got to experience that. You know, so many of us have grown up with conditioning um, and this applies to people of all genders grown up with conditioning where you know, certain parts of us are allowed and certain parts of us mm. are not. And we grow up and we have personas and we, you know, when we're doing the work, we're growing into our more authentic and full self. And that's what I'm, you know, all about. And when we get to experience that with another individual, that's a very beautiful thing. And that requires that, uh, yeah, the capacity to allow someone else's wholeness and not hold them to the standard of what, for example, it means yeah. to be a masculine man and to, you know, hold that role for them. And in the same way that, mm. you know, uh, nobody likes to have themselves be held to a certain role and how they are supposed to show up in that role, uh, being allowing each mm. other to just be who we are and to show up with a level of uh, the capacity to um, yeah, be with that wholeness. And so, 
that can be a very beautiful thing to open up to. Mm. Yeah. It's like this inner union piece, right? It's like, do we want, like, do we want to be two halves? Like, do we want to be someone's other half? And, and yeah, just be like repressing parts of ourselves so that we fit into a relationship. Like, no, I don't know anyone who deeply, who actually, you know, deep down wants that. It's like we, we all have work to do in our own way about integrating these parts of us that we've rejected. Yeah. And yeah, and for, for many men, that's the piece about emotions. And that's why men who aren't in touch with their emotions will attract these hyper-emotional women who will express it for them and who they can <laughs> run away from. Yeah. And as women, you know, we can... So some of us can repress um, aspects of our masculinity, um, taking responsibility for our lives, you know? And yeah, I feel like this, this is really soulful intimacy that we're talking about when we're coming to another person as a whole who's in touch with all of us, definitely imperfect, very imperfect, still healing, fucked up in our own way and so beautiful and yeah, just wanting to be met where we are in that journey. Yeah, absolutely. And held the way that we hold someone else. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And one thing that I, you know, you, you spoke to this earlier, but um, the relationship that a man has to his own vulnerability and his own emotions is going to be reflected in how he holds space for someone else. So if we're teaching men that vulnerability is not okay, it's something to push away, fix, get rid of, then it's going to show up in the way that he is with his partner. Um, it's going to come out in one way or another, right? And so that's where being able to really bring in that sense of wholeness um, and really emphasizing it, particularly for men. I think everyone, um, you know, benefits from learning how to work with their vulnerabilities in healthy ways. Mm. But because men have been, you know, particularly shamed for that, it can be helpful yeah. to, instead of, you know, teaching them even more of that, you know, variations of that same conditioning to actually be like, look, as a man, it's going to be very challenging for you to connect with any of these vulnerable emotions. So let's actually normalize that and de-shamify that and, um, you know, bring that in. And, um, you know, there are different ways of doing that. It's not just, you know, being, you know, being able to um, have access to some of those emotions with his partner, obviously being able to get support with other men other practitioners, mm -hmm. yeah. whether it's therapy, group work, whatever it might be, that's also an important part of you know every man's journey with his uh, emotions. And so when I was talking about emotional safety, it's not just you know the safety for a man to you know connect with his emotions and know that he will be accepted in that. It's also about things like um, not knowing uh, how feeling blamed can make someone feel unsafe. Right, and not all men will have the words to describe that. That's the experience mm. that you know when he's feeling blamed, he now doesn't feel emotionally safe, 
or when he's mm. being criticized or it's all the negative or the, the things he's doing wrong that is being brought up. But these are the, you know, the underlying thing is that emotional safety starts to get eroded. And likewise, you know, anyone, regardless of what gender they are, these things erode their sense of emotional safety. And it's just about mm. talking about this in a way that uh, really anchors in how important that is for everyone, uh, no matter what their gender is. And uh, the more that we really acknowledge that, I think the deeper that capacity for collaboration becomes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. This is such an important thing about blame. And I think this kind of comes back to this phrase of like, yeah, treating someone how you'd like to be treated. And remembering that <laughs> when we're in the heat of an argument, you know, and we just want to, we just want to throw that blame at the other person, just like get that responsibility away from me. It's like, no, no, that, that doesn't feel good. And, um, yeah, this is super, super important. It doesn't feel good for anyone. Yeah. And I also want to just, you know, de-shamify uh, that experience of blaming someone or criticizing them because when we're in that experience where we feel, for example, the fear of abandonment is coming up and we're feeling, you know, there's a part of us that's panicking and terrified, we can mm. resort to these old coping mechanisms and these kind of primal ways of influencing people, which blame is one of those ways, you know, it's like a very... Um, you know, old coping mechanism, you know, it works sometimes, you know, people feel guilty, they might, you know, change their, what they're doing in the moment. It's just not an effective way of getting our needs met. And that's where it's like de-shamifying and saying, look, these are the automatic things that we often do. And it's coming from a place where we, you know, we're emotionally dysregulated and we don't have access to the part of us that knows there might be a, a better way of doing this. And that's mm -hmm. where I think, you know, giving, um, you know, why I share what I share is about giving people access to these new tools and saying, you know, you're not wrong for blaming someone or criticizing them. It makes yeah. sense given what you're feeling and given what you have awareness of, of how to like get your needs met. And there are more effective ways of getting your needs met. And it, it does take a bit of time. You know, it's not just reading a book or being aware yeah. of it. Uh, as you, you will know, at a lot of people listening to this would know when you're in the moment, it's very challenging to access other options and, you know, pausing and finding this new yeah. way of responding to the situation. Um, that's why, you know, I love to practice with people the kinds of uh, practical communication skills that I, that I share yeah. with them because sometimes it is about that practice. It's like that muscle memory so that when the moment comes up, you have access to this, you know, new thing that you've been practicing. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring compassion to that experience because it, you know, yeah. for people are meaning to, you know, do things in a way that's hurtful or, or eroding emotional safety. It's unintentional. It's just mm. a helpful thing to yeah. have the awareness that that can be happening and there are other ways of going about it. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that.
I, yeah, my kind of patterning or like just from the experiences that I had in my childhood, for me, it was very easy to arrive into a space where I felt like the other person was the enemy suddenly it would just be like suddenly trust was it just felt like the trust was broken I'm just like whoa who is this person what's going on I would be so angry and and shut down at the same time and what's been really really supportive for me is really like ingraining this understanding and like imprinting this thing on my whole brain of like you know this person is just doing their best like everyone is just doing their best in every moment and this person is someone who cares about me this is someone who is choosing to be in a relationship with me or, you know, choosing to relate in, in some way. And how can I respond from the place of remembrance that we love each other? And, like, whatever I'm feeling, just remembering that, like, I've chosen to be in relationship with this person. They've chosen to be with me and it's because we love each other and they're not the enemy. And that has made such a huge difference to my life because I know no matter what I feel, I have this part of me that's like tethered to that understanding and that remembrance of love, even if I'm very, very angry. And I'm like, I'm very, very angry. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> and I, I want to, like, I want to blame you, but I know it's not the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, I know it's not really your fault, but I really want to blame you. And I think just saying that is so disarming for the other person it just it brings so much um it's just so much easier to connect with someone who's being honest with themselves about their process mm -hmm. and i'm so fucking grateful yeah. <laughs> i've managed to do that because it's still fucking intense mm. yeah still super intense but much better much better beautiful and that's yeah so powerful that you've been able to uh create uh that connection with this resource this awareness and perspective even in those moments that can feel so overwhelming and so challenging and so disconnecting and adversarial that you're able to access this awareness in those moments that can be really challenging for a lot of people so that's really profound yeah. that you're able to access that and it sounds like it's um, really supporting you and your overall goals in life to have you know, healthier relationships and intimacy. And, um, yeah, it's like bring, you're bringing in that collaborative energy. And it's, uh, that's one way of doing that, which is, you know, uh, maintaining that shared 
sense of, you know, we're in this relationship together and that person isn't the enemy, even if in this, in the moment it can feel like that. And the fact that you have this way of uh, describing that experience, you know, I want to blame you, but I know that's not right. Or I know it's not true or whatever, however you may say it. That's a really powerful thing because that's signaling to the other person that you're, um, that you are emotionally safe. They don't have to mm. uh, protect mm. themselves from you. You have the capacity mm. to kind of pause and not be driven entirely by that animosity that you might feel in the moment. And so just by mm. saying something, and that's such a simple thing to express, you know, but it can really mean so much to someone to feel like, oh, wow, this person has awareness and, uh, you know, uh, I'm not the enemy in this. Mm. So, yeah. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I love how we've kind of gone into the depths of conscious communication and navigating these really fucking hard, emotionally charged conversations because I think how we navigate conflict is so, so important. Absolutely. That's everything. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's why I do what I do because there's so many different aspects of it that can be helpful. And um, really, that's the practical and grounded stuff that I have found to be the most effective to really focus on how we're working with those conflicts, you know, working mm-hmm. with being able to, in the moment, uh, preventing conflict, working with it in the moment, and then repairing and the... Mm. the whole spectrum of working with it. It can be really powerful and really help people to access a whole new level of intimacy with someone from that Mm. place of, you know, a shared uh, sense of we're in this together. And that Mm. can just, yeah, like like I was talking about before, it really opens up a whole new uh, space of of soulful intimacy. Mm. Oh can just feel my heart is just really happy in this moment (laughs) yeah I love I love talking about this thank you my pleasure it's been really great to to talk with you about all these things yeah I'm really curious so I guess yeah we're probably coming to the end of our time together but I would just love to hear a little bit about um, your background, Sardar, and how you got into this work and what was happening for you in your life that made, made it really clear for you that relationships and intimacy was where you wanted to devote yourself for the last five years. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a, you know, little story going into yeah. how it all, it. how it all started. <laughs> um, I, I suppose it was about five years ago and I was dating a woman and at this time in my life, I was uh, a bit of a binge drinker. So on weekends I would just, you know, get blackout drunk and I was, I had a lot of trauma, unresolved trauma that I just didn't have the. You know, I didn't know where to go to work with that trauma from my childhood. And I was just trying to numb out. 
and uh, but I was you know dating and I had been dating for you know several years at this point but um, it was all kind of surface level I didn't really know how to go deeper with people I didn't really know myself so I couldn't I just didn't have the capacity to really connect with people even though there was, there was a part of me that really craved that very deeply um, and what happened was uh, I met this woman and she turned out to be a priestess in these shamanic ceremonies and I uh, was invited to one of them and I uh, ended up you know, participating and it was a, a transformational experience for me in the way that it really opened up my heart again after many years of just feeling numb and disconnected and it was very beautiful in the sense that I was like, wow, this is what it's like to actually love again to feel my heart again and so that was beautiful and on the flip side it meant that the connection that I had with this uh, woman who was not really available uh, at that time she was going through her own stuff to do with someone else and it just brought up all of these painful feelings for me and I was really in a lot of emotional pain and it kind of hit me you know very hard and I didn't know what to do with these feelings it was very overwhelming so that's a flip side of you know being able to feel more deeply again and yeah. what I found was uh, I just kind of you know, went on this spiritual journey as a lot of people do and uh, just kind of trying out different things seeing what works what's helpful I don't know where to go with this so seeing um you know going to different kundalini activations and all these different experiences to get yeah work with what's happening for me and over time you know as i experimented with different things and learned about different things i started deepening into the, the psychology of trauma of attachment wounding and I found that that helped me the most in starting to really grapple with what I was experiencing more than anything else that I was being exposed to, all these different ideas out there. This is, I found, was like, this is making sense to me. I get why uh, I would feel so devastated considering, you know, the kinds of uh, experiences I had as a child and how that might be, you know, coming up in this connection and the, how painful it feels that the person that I love is not there and not available in the way that I want her to be so that was helpful and um, but what I found was that um, so over time I, I you know continued my healing journey and uh, different kinds of practices and uh, practitioners I, I was able to quit drinking a couple of years into this process and uh, so I haven't uh, been drinking been had a drink for about three years now and um so it was starting things were you know i was starting to heal and be able to uh work with these emotions in new ways and understand what's happening for me and one of the things that was really powerful for me was understanding how my drinking was a result of this yearning and desire to connect but not knowing how to do so I had never mm. experienced connection, like true connection. It wasn't part of my childhood to feel seen and known. So I didn't know how to do it with people. And uh, drinking alcohol just kind of, you know, made me feel a little bit more free to just, you know, be myself. And uh, But it just wasn't a sustainable or healthy way of going about it. 
So when I understood that that was what was driving it, uh, I could kind of uh, work through the shame of that, the shame of being someone who binge drinks alcohol and all the painful feelings that were associated with that. And I was able to, you know, just kind of have a neutrality to it and acknowledge, you know, it's a beautiful thing to want connection and intimacy, but this is not the way that's going to, you know, produce the result that I'm wanting. So I was able to start connecting more with uh, people who also weren't drinkers and going to other events that didn't involve drinking. Um, so that was a helpful part of my process. But you know, in understanding that the my what was going on for me, what I found in the community that I was in, which was a spiritual community, was there wasn't a lot of people who really got this more grounded and psychological element to what can be going on for people. I was hearing more about, you know, past lives and twin flames and that kind of thing. And so that made me, you know, want to bring in this perspective that I had found so helpful in starting to work through my stuff. And as I, you know, I started kind of uh, offering uh, a service that was designed to help people just work with their inner child. Um, and over time that developed into uh, the work that I do with people now, which is really supporting them with the things that I have found to be the most effective, which is one, moving into secure attachment and everything that's involved with that, particularly the um, healthy communication skills. Mm. Um, and just to kind of tie it back to what we started with, one of the first connections with a woman that I had that felt like a secure attachment that I ever had, which I would have been maybe like 32 years old. It was with a woman and, and it was a few years into this healing journey. And it was with someone who, instead of her being the type that I would normally go for, you know, the, the person that I would pick because I was so physically attracted to her. That's what I would normally go with, right? But this person was someone that I felt more of a kind of a neutral attraction to. It was just like, mm. and it, it was kind of weird to do this. I was like breaking my pattern. It was just like, this is not someone I feel that attracted to. Like, she's attractive. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, she just wasn't my type. And yet, that was the first time I really felt this secure attachment with someone. And mm. that relationship really opened up so much for me because I was able, that was the first time I was able to really be vulnerable with a woman, to start to feel safe in relationship with women. And so that's part of why I talk about the things that I talk about because that unlocked so much for me to break my mm. pattern and start being open to something else. And that's really, you know, I see that as a pivotal uh, connection in my life when I um, was dating her for six months to experience this, something completely new that at the beginning it felt much more neutral. And I was like, I was curious, I was open. It wasn't exciting. It was just like, let's see what's here. And it turned out to be that pivotal relationship that um, really opened up this new uh, experience in me that it can be uh, safe for me to you know, be my whole self in a relationship with a woman. And so that's what started it all for me. And um, yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's a beautiful story and like 
Yeah, what a journey. What a journey. I love um, also what you were sharing at the end, just about like, yeah, choosing choosing people who look different <laughs> from what we usually go go for. And I do. It's kind of like I go slightly insane when like I'm very attracted to someone. <laughs> It's like rationality just kind of just like goes out of the window and something else happens. So I think that's actually a very important thing to talk about. And it it also like brings me back to the whole, the way we started talking, which was about like lust and how so many connections and relationships are driven by lust and how when you said that I was just like whoa whoa yes it's so obvious but I don't even think about it because it's so like enmeshed in the way that I've chosen men in the past I don't think I'm alone in that yeah absolutely it's such a common Thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here to shame lust. I think lust is it's why we right. exist, right? It's just yeah. about that kind of compassionate guidance and saying, okay, we can have attraction, right? And we can also have something really fulfilling and soulful and beautiful. And sometimes that might involve, yeah, kind of being open to someone who isn't immediately as attractive at the beginning and being open to the possibility of that growing and so kind of experimenting with that, you know, not as a rigid rule that if I'm attracted to someone that couldn't possibly be a good you know, thing for me. <laughs> like that's not what I'm, Yeah, right. If you're hot, you're disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not about replacing one rigid rule with another. It's just kind of opening the conversation up to, you know, um, reflecting on these things and experimenting and, um, considering, uh, you know, something new, what, what's something new we could try out and, yes. uh, yeah. Absolutely. And it's, we're definitely not shaming lust on this podcast. I mean, my, my work is heavily orientated in sacred sexuality, but yeah, I mean, even with sexuality, I remember as well, like, starting to explore with men who I didn't find necessarily just super, super, super hot. I actually realized that when I followed who I was attracted to on, like in other ways, you know, like there was a great rapport between us or like he was super funny or I just felt really comfortable with him or like whatever it was actually these men were were way better sexual matches for me than men who were just who I just thought was super hot but there wasn't really anything there you know it was just very shallow it wasn't really like an energetic attraction it was just superficial so I think yeah on any level um really going for that depth and um, being less superficial can be supportive, yeah. depending. Right, right. And one thing that I want to say on that, that is 
usually the way that we kind of assess someone and the kinds of things that we're attracted to and that we look for are very deeply ingrained and they're, they've become part of, you know, the neural networks, the groove in our brain. And it takes a bit of effort, like intentional effort to like shift that even a little yeah. bit. And that's why I tend to give people these exercises with, um, you know, starting to consciously reflect on what they might be doing unconsciously. So sometimes like if someone's on a dating app, you know, are you looking at what kinds of things are you looking for? Is it like the person's status and lifestyle? And if so, what, what is it like for you to intentionally look at things like what is the, um, how does it feel like the kindness in their eyes to, to mm. notice those kinds of things? What is it like to notice whether this feels like someone who is presenting a perfect uh, persona that feels very attractive versus mm. there's something about what they're presenting that's, you know, might be a little bit vulnerable and authentic that shows a characteristic of courage and authenticity is that something that we're noticing uh or yeah and if we're looking for um you know someone that we feel really emotionally uh, connected with are we noticing the kinds of things that might signal that or are we looking at you know the fact that they um yeah have uh high status and they have uh you know really great photos of themselves and they look amazing you know like what are we focusing on and Mm. these things are usually unconscious they're like a habit so just kind of you know reflecting it's an invitation to kind of reflect and try out something new Mm. i love that yeah it's so important that we try new things and have a look at what's habitual if we want to create a different outcome. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Sardar. I, you know, just love your work. I love what you're doing. So tell us um, how can someone work with you or find more of your stuff sure so um i have my facebook profile is kind of my hub at the moment so if you just type in my name sardar hararovich you can find my link tree on there if you're interested uh in having a call with me just kind of talking about some of these things and um i you know i offer these free calls for people to just kind of have a discussion like this and talk about what's going on for them and see if i might be able to support them in becoming more secure and having that healthier more authentic and soulful connection both within themselves and all the different parts of themselves and Mm -hmm. also with others and so that's one way you can work with me um and right now it's the main way I've created a course over the last year and a half uh, that's currently being finalized and edited. So that's going to be available pretty soon. Um, So uh, people can uh, just let me know if they're interested in that and I can Mm -hmm. uh, let them know when it's released. What's the course about? The course is about all of these things. Uh, So there's actually a module called Conscious Dating where I go into much more detail about all of the different things that we've spoken about and some of the more practical 
uh, things that people can do to you know identify their type, work with that in a healthy way so they can align with you know, what they're really wanting. Um, and as well as you know working with all these beliefs and these uh, cliches that are out there and really just going through all of them and looking at the grounded perspectives that help people to really align with that uh, connection that they're craving. So mm. um, so that's one module, which is conscious dating. Another one is uh, conscious conflict, which is all about working with conflict, uh, you know, what that collaborative approach and all the practical elements that help to create that in a relationship or even when you're dating someone, um, mm. as well as looking at the eight things that decrease emotional safety. You know, we talked about blame being one of them. There's a few things that are often surprising to people as things that can decrease emotional safety. And then we look at the eight very specific things that increase emotional safety to create that foundation for something really beautiful, something that feels so solid that you feel very secure with that person. Like that's really your your yeah. person and your partner. So um, just, uh, you know, these uh, practical ways of going about this and um so and then you know other modules on uh codependency versus interdependency and understanding the distinctions so that we're not you know shaming the desire for connection and love and actually bringing in um the balanced uh alternative which is not you know hyper independence but this balance between the two and um explaining what that looks like in practice uh, when it comes to needs and expectations and desires and disappointments and working with those things uh, from a place of interdependence rather than codependence or hyper-independence. So we cover basically, you know, everything to do with authentic intimacy. And uh, so it's it's pretty comprehensive. Wow. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. I'm really excited. Um, to see more and yeah we had a call a little while ago I highly recommend getting on a call with Sardar it was really 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 helpful for me I felt like um, you really understood where I was coming from and you had this like gentle perceptiveness I felt that was really it was just beautiful. Like I felt really seen, I felt really understood and um, yeah, it was just super helpful. So I can definitely recommend that for anyone who's feeling a call to work with Sardar. Um, I'll put all of the links in the show notes and yeah, it's been so wonderful having you. Is there any last thing you'd like to share before? Um, just feeling into that. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's been a real honor to, to have this conversation and um, I've really appreciated the, the depths that we were able to go here to talk about these things. And um, I'm really excited for, you know, these ideas, you know, the sense of collaboration and relationships to become more of a norm and to, mm. you know, make these things more mainstream and, um, you know, normalize emotional safety as a thing that we all need. 
So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about that because it's such a beautiful thing. And uh, I really think there's so much, you know, that as human beings, we have the capacity to unlock in our uh, relationships and in our relationship to everything around us. And I think uh, as we, you know, develop this deepening into uh, healthy intimacy with each other, a lot of that can be unlocked. So it's really exciting and I'm really uh, pleased to be able to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Sardar. Yes, healthy intimacy will change the world. I believe that yeah. for sure. Okay, so this has been such a beautiful episode. I feel really nourished and full. I'm smiling. <laughs> If you're not watching the video, I've been I've been smiling a lot uh, in this conversation. And yeah, check out Sardar's work. It's awesome. And yeah, I'll see you on the next episode. You're listening to the Embodied Mystic Podcast. Thank you for being here and for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it could serve you in some way. I'd love to hear from you. My inbox is always open. Let me know what spoke to you in this episode and if there was a moment that lit you up or brought you into deeper self-reflection. If you loved this episode, I'd be super grateful if you took a moment to leave a review or share with a friend. You can do this easily by visiting the link in the show notes. It's been a real, real pleasure connecting with you today and I'll see you soon.